Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. one of the big challenges of our time is that we're very good at shouting the word hero or the word heroic at these men and women. But what we're less good at is treating them heroically ourselves when they return home, especially if they return home traumatised. We've not got a very good system for understanding what it's like to live beyond those terrible events. And there are terrible events if you're in a war zone and you just see the sheer chaos, the imminent threat, the, the sense of destruction, despair that is occurring. Coming away from that, and we're talking sometimes about young men and women who are 18, 19, 20 is considered to be slightly senior in some of those units. And they're coming back, never having really worked out yet who they are, and yet they have a profound sense of death and terror. Uh, and they have to live in the normal everyday streets that we all walk in. So you can go to pubs around Ireland and around Britain uh, and around America and in, in just about any country now, and you will find these lonely men and women who have experienced something absolutely transforming that they can't put words to. And for a novelist, your job is to put words to it. So that, that, therein lies the challenge for the reader as well, to, to, in a sense, become intimate with something almost unspeakable for these people. How does the past impact on the present? And is it possible to live beyond the experiences of our lives? Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. Well, on tonight's show, I'm putting my feet up and replaying you two of my favourite interviews from over the year. Yes, I've selected two terrific writers for you. One a Scot, the other an Irishman. Men of considerable insight, opinion, morality and bite. First up, it's the wonderfully charming and reflective Joseph O'Neill. Joseph O'Neill was born in Cork in 1964 and grew up in Mozambique, South Africa, Iran, Turkey and Holland. His latest book, The Dog, is an intriguing moral tale of love, loss, globalisation and greed and interestingly teases out the sometimes shadowy choices we all have to make in life as friends, as employees and as lovers. The dog is set amongst Dubai super-rich and got Joseph long-listed from the Man Booker Prize in 2014. Today, Joseph is a visiting professor of written arts at Bard College in New York, where his advice to budding writers goes something like this. Novel writing is a bit like deception. You lie as little as you possibly can. That's the way I do it anyway. Well, I spent a lovely morning with Joe, talking to him about the everyday moral dilemmas he faced when he was working at the corporate court. I tell you, he'd some great stories. Anyway, when I finally managed to hit record, I asked Joe about something he once said, that good writing may not often instantly yield its full significance. I suppose I mean that as a writer, you're always uh, made conscious and increasingly made conscious of the reader these days and the reader's reaction to, to what you're doing with all the internet and all the rest of it. And I suppose I, I must have said that in response to some idea that increasingly you're expected not to waste anyone's time as, as, as a writer, which is, which is fine in principle, but in practice it seems to turn out that if you write something which doesn't instantly 
achieve some sort of simplicity or sort of lucidity so that the reader is slightly contradicted in his or her effort to understand something immediately, then you've somehow upset somebody and, and people are less, it seems to me, are less used these days to sort of living with a sentence before they understand everything about it. I mean, you have to write something. You can't write something that's completely baffling. But I also think that the whole magic of writing is that you, on the one hand, understand everything straight away, but it's only subsequently that you begin to see perhaps the other things that might have been going on. I suppose best described as a relationship of sorts and with books you can go back to and you can reread. But I imagine the pressure on a writer these days to produce books that you can almost speed through because we're all digesting information so fast and we're rushing through things, we're speeding through our emails and our attention spans are, not that they're necessarily different, but we're operating at a different pace. So writers in some way have to engage with that pace in one way. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I do. Th- I actually do believe that you're right. I mean, I, I know in myself, I see it in myself. I, I used to just readily just pick up a book and then just the rest of the world would just evaporate and uh, you would then be in your book. That's just harder and harder for me personally to get to. And I'm sure lots of people are like that. And I just watch kind of younger people as well. I mean, they've grown up in this world where they're agitated electronically every five seconds. And so the whole quietness of a page of written work is is something they, they're just not as used to. So that's that's definitely going on. Would you describe yourself as a philosophical writer? Because you do present stories where there is some moral ambiguity in the choices and decisions and the responsibility of some of your narrators in what they're doing with their lives and what they're willing to take responsibility for. Um, I'd say I, in relation to this new book, The Dog, I do feel like I'm a more of a philosophical writer simply because I spent a few years reading, you know, philosophical works. Um, I don't know why I was doing it, but as a kind of build-up to, to writing it. And funny enough, this gets back to your early question because what I really love about philosophy is that it's opaque. I don't understand it. I mean, I'm reading it and I feel like, again, like the sort of 18-year-old kid reading poetry and not understanding it, but being somehow enchanted by the very fact that it's this mysterious text that will only, in due course, um, yield up its further meanings. And the voice of the philosophers and the voice of philosophical writing was, the, I suppose, the first thing that came out of that. And I so, so I gave this kind of almost comically pedantic investigative voice that the philosophers often have as a, as a professional matter. I gave it to um, my narrator, It's interesting that you use the word understanding there because your narrator is grappling with the challenging world of Dubai and all the complex social and political scenarios that he faces in his job. And it's a very shady world, a very murky world. And he is trying to almost grapple with that and cop out of certain situations that he just doesn't want to deal with. And maybe he can deal with it at at another time in his life, but not now. It's a very male read. I really enjoyed it. It's very energised. Yeah, well, the story is about this American lawyer. He's kind of half American, half Swiss, who flees New York because his relationship with his non-married female partner is broken up in these kind of rather kind of horrible circumstances, made more complex by the fact that they were colleagues at work. And so he flees. He just gets out and ends up in Dubai, where this old college pal of his offers him a job working for these millionaires. And then he finds himself in Dubai. And I suppose, you know, the question of gender is, I mean, lots of things happen when you get to Dubai because it's such a sort of new and sort of 
exposed sort of society and gender is one of the things that happens there um, that is suddenly um, more pronounced um, so that on the one hand he is a man who's broken up um, from a relationship so he does feel sort of very male at mm. that moment you know he's, he's his his kind of situation is a very specifically the situation of a male person who's kind of fled a relationship and then when he gets to Dubai of course he finds a society that is kind of strange in many ways but but particularly in the question of gender division mm. I mean in Emirati society which is only 10% of Dubai 90% of it is expats which is extraordinary really has you know all the men physically separated in public from all the women and I think even inside the homes mm. there are these kind of areas which are gender oriented and it sort of reminds me of the sort of toilet cubicles you see, mm-hmm. which were sort of male signs and women signs. I mean, there are all these kind of invisible sort of divisions of that kind elsewhere in society. And so, um, and he's also, I suppose, extremely frightened of women at this mm-hmm. point as a result of his experiences. Mm-hmm. Not because they're women as such, but I suppose, but because of the situations that might, in due course, arise mm-hmm. were he to become involved again. Mm-hmm. And he's also, I suppose pretty frightened of himself mm. and, and, and what, how his feelings might be and all the rest of it so yeah I suppose one part of this story is a kind of masculine anxiety and that sense of not really connecting or belonging anywhere whether it's even when how he transacts with a prostitute how he his relationship with his employer and he's very very isolated in a lot of different ways isn't he yeah, I mean, he seeks out 